right. Well, I'm so excited. Again, um, my name is Beto Gudiño. For those of you who are tuning in, the host of Christian Podcast here in Costa Mesa, California, a signal of hope to all the world. And today we have two very special guests. Their names is Robert and Taylor Barriger, and they are pastors who live in Peru. So how amazing and international is that? It's so good. How are you guys doing? Hey, we're doing amazing. Welcome to summertime. <laughs> <laughs> we head into summer this time of year and down the down the other side of the equator. Yep, yep. Love it. How are you, Taylor? Good, good. Um, kind of wish we're, we're in beautiful Costa Mesa right now. We're kind of, um, I was born in San Diego. And uh, nice. my dad grew up in L.A. and in Bible school in San Diego. So I got a lot of family up down in that up from here up in that area. Um, but uh, it's 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 it's, a, it's you're suffering for Jesus, man. You're doing you're having a hard time, huh? <laughs> uh, yeah. Suffering for Jesus, man. Here with my two guitars, writing songs. <laughs> yeah. In the always eternal summer of California. <laughs> Amazing. Almost. Right. Well, thank you guys for coming on the show. I see, Taylor, that you have a fireplace going on and it's summer. It's a fake fireplace. It's Christmas, man. You, you got <laughs> to uh, have the mood happening. <laughs> okay, just for the mood. <laughs> yeah, it's, <laughs> one it's, ten hour, it's one of those 10-hour uh, YouTube li you know, loops. <laughs> nice. Well, that's so cool. Again, thank you guys for coming on the show. You guys mm -hmm. have an amazing podcast that I've been listening to called Haciendo Iglesia. And you guys are super fluent in Spanish. Uh, so before we get to talking about you guys' podcast and why you do it and, you know, the, the people that it's touching and all of that, I would love to get to know you guys a little bit more. So would you tell me you know, who you are and what you do? Starting with... <laughs> okay. Let's start with Mr. Robert. Uh, yeah, well... I grew up out there in your tar your neighborhood, like Taylor said, Santa Monica, Los Angeles. Uh, got saved in the Jesus movement. In fact, we used to drive down to Costa Mesa back in the early days of Calvary Chapel when they were still meeting in a tent. And uh, went to a lot of their concerts in the early, early, early 70s, 72, 73. Uh, went to Bible school in San Diego. Spent about 10 years there in training. Uh, and in 1983, packed up my wife and two kids. Taylor was just a little baby, uh, two-year-old little towhead, and packed us all up, moved down to Peru, and we've been here ever since. So one on 38 years here in Peru. Wow. That's about how old I am. <laughs> well, I'm 39. Wow, that's amazing. What about you, Taylor? What, who you are and what you do? Well, I was forced to come to Peru at the age of two. Um, <laughs> I, had no, I had no say in the matter. Uh, no, no, no. Um, I feel I feel like it's a privilege to have grown up here, and um, that Peru is my home. Um, part of the part of the curiosity of the story is that when I was 14, my parents came to me and said, "Hey, um, would you like to go back to the U.S. and play sports?" And I said, absolutely not. I'm, I'm happy here. My dad says, well, think about it. In five years, would you regret not have, going, not have gone? And he said, think about it. Pray about it. And so I was like, I don't know. Um, all right. 
so several weeks went by and he said, well, what do you think? I go, I don't know. Let's, I'm open to it. And he goes, why don't we do a trip? So we, um, there was a, a school in the, in, in the States, part of a church in Baton Rouge, Louisiana, Christian life. And um, we went, we went and visited and uh, the basketball team was playing in the state final in the LSU arena. And we were there for that moment. And they won the championship. My dad and I turned to each other and were like, what do you think? And I said, yes, I want to come here. It's God. <laughs> <laughs> and so at 15, uh, my parents dropped me off in, in Baton Rouge, Louisiana. So I did high school, my sophomore, junior, senior year, high school in the States by myself, living with a family. Um, at 18, I got the call of God in my life. Um, went to a seminary. It's the, the funny story, uh, kind of tangent, is we lost the state semifinals in basketball in, a, in, in Shreveport, the big arena there. And my dad, uh, he, he flew up just to see me play. And we caught back up in, in Baton Rouge eating um, marble, marble slab or, or, or stone cold pizza or stone cold ice cream, whatever that is. And uh, I said, hey, I feel called. And it was the first time I ever voiced that. So I went to a seminary, long story short, I spent a total of 10 years in the U.S. Wow. and then moved back at 25 as a missionary to Peru. And uh, now I'm 40 and uh, God's been good. And it's what, what a privilege to, to work alongside my parents and, and just to be a help. That's right. And that's something I've noticed with, with the podcast, Haciendo Iglesia. I just love the interaction between both of you guys, you know, mm -hmm. the father and son connection. And I mean, thank you for sharing a little bit of your story, you know, back when you were 15, because as I was preparing for this podcast, I, I myself, I'm a parent. I have three little kids. Well, kind of little. Uh, my youngest is four and she's a girl. And then I have two boys who are uh, nine and 11. So as I wow. think of, you know, raising my own children and, you know, kind of like being involved here in ministry and, you know, I have my own story of how God is, you know, has called me and into doing like all this crazy stuff and being here at the church and whatnot. Um, but as I think of my kids and growing up with them, I feel like, how can I, how can I infuse in them that like passion or that connection to Jesus in a way that maybe when they're, mm -hmm. you know, when they're. 15 or 20 or whatever, uh, they they can hear God's voice calling them. Because I think God is, you know, God is God and he's always working and he calls us. Uh, so I have no doubt about God calling them, but I have, I have more curiosity about what is it that I can empower my kids or the tools that I can give them so they can listen to that voice. So would you tell me a little bit about you guys' family uh, maybe, uh, Robert, if you want to, I, I don't know, I mean, 30 years of ministry, I'm sure there's a lot, but can you tell me a little bit of like the, your biggest, um, tools maybe that helped you influence Taylor as he was growing up? My biggest tool is without a doubt, coffee. <laughs> <laughs> love it. I love coffee, man. So I'm on the right path. You're right yes. there, right near Port Portolos. Is that what it's called? Yeah, Portolos. Portolos. Yeah, it's a good place. Nice. Um, uh, gosh, I don't know. Um, a lot of people have asked us that question, and I'm not really sure of the answer um, as to how we were able to impart to our kids their own walk with God and their own faith. 
I think it's that we were always real with them. I think it's also that um, um, we didn't force anything on them. We let them make their own choices, their own walk with God. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, sometimes people say things like, uh, you know, don't bring the ministry home. Don't talk shop at the table. We always brought the ministry home and always talk shop at the table. Wow. And when we had the, you know, friends over and there was the adult table and the kids table, my kids always wanted to sit with the adult table because they wanted to hear the conversation. Mm, it's true. So, you know, they, we just, we never separated them from what we did in the ministry. Mm. We always made them an intricate part of it. Yeah. Dad, you have something about that. Um, When I left to to school, you you gave a teaching about, um, about Moses. I think that's, that's, that's really um, particular now, right? Yeah, it's a story of Moses. Um, I remember that um, where, you know, Jacobin, um, Moses' parents, uh, they had Amron and Jacobin. They, they got this baby, and then this edict comes out, kill all the children, all the boys. Mm-hmm. So if we could say, you know, they raised a son. They, she was pregnant at the wrong time. Sometimes people think, you know, the world's tough today. Well, that was tough. When you get, you know, the edict that you're you're pregnant, and if it's a boy child, you know, if it's a male, you've got to take that down to the River Nile and, and kill it. So the Bible says in Hebrews that they hid him as long as they could. And the teaching I tell parents is don't be afraid to hide your kids from the world as long as you can. The day will come when you can't hide them anymore. So, but hide them from the world as long as you can. And then it's curious because, you know, Amran, the mom, and, and Jacobed, they took Moses. I mean, I'd say, let's get out of Egypt for right now. Let's go to another country. We got to save this kid. But they took him to the same river they were killing Hebrew boys, the Nile River. She built an ark and sent him out. And my teaching was when you can hide your kids no more, build an ark of prayer, build an ark and send them off into the world, trusting that God will, will take care of them. So the day will come where, where every parent you've got to just, you're building an ark for now, but the day will come when you've got to release them into the world. And if you've built a good ark, then they'll float. They'll be okay. Wow. That's massive. Uh, Taylor, do you feel like a little bit of that arc might have been when he sent you to you know, to high school in the United States? Was that a little because you said you felt the calling you know, a little bit after? Uh, yeah. Was that part of the journey? Can you tell me a little bit about how that went? How did you experience? Oh, oh, absolutely. I mean, um, that was back when Internet was still in its infancy. So. Um, there were no cell phones. Um, the only way to call was was using a calling card or c- calling collect. And so we, we wouldn't talk often. Um, honestly, I think about it now and I'm mortified. But we would have a phone call maybe once a month. Because wow. calling collect, and there's, it was so expensive. 
And so it was a very, and, and maybe every now and then an email, right? With the modem and the, remember that? <laughs> AOL and all, all that kind of yeah. stuff. So we, were, we weren't having that much um, communication back and forth. It was very rare. But I look back now and I can, I can feel the, the anointing of prayer on, on my life, on my decisions. I, I, I didn't, when I went, I had a few peers that go at the same time with me. And uh, I was a Christian school, but by no means were, was it full of Christians at all. <laughs> and so um, quite a few friends went down the wrong path. And for some wow. reason, I didn't. And it wasn't that I was that smart or wise. I, I was clueless. But I look back and I go, wow, there's something else um, just protecting me. And it was that arc of prayer. And I know my, my parents really just just went at it um, and not just not, not freaky, like I bind and not 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 Kevin, uh, not um, Kenneth no. Copeland and heavy metal. <laughs> not that it, it was just that's the best. That's the, one of the best videos I've ever seen. But it's um, good. <laughs> it's good. But it's, it's really just some symbol like God, I trust you. It's, it's in your hands. And um, like my dad said, they never. Um, said hey you have you have ministry in your life hey you're going to be a pastor they never said that i wanted to be a graphic designer uh, and they go well, well we'll do anything we can to help you achieve what's in your heart and so when i actually when i told my dad i have ministry in my heart i was 17 about to be 18 and um it was a a watershed moment <laughs> it was a before and after and 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 my dad was my parents were shocked uh, my mom says it this way my mom says that when she and my dad left me in in Baton Rouge, that they said goodbye forever in their hearts. They, wow. As in, they never expected I would come back to Peru. And so, me coming for them, me coming back to Lima to work with them is more of a bonus wow. um, than anything else. Yeah, it, it reminds me almost like the. I mean, I'm sure you've heard this phrase in Spanish, right? Um, something like. Déjalo ir y si regresa es tuyo, si no, nunca lo fue. Like, let him go, and if he yeah. comes back, that means it's yours. If not, he was never yours <laughs> from the beginning, yeah. right? It's a phrase we yeah. have. Wow, man, what an amazing uh, journey and calling yeah. and and team. I think you guys have a tremendous team. I love to see you know, the, the work that you guys are doing in Peru. Mm. Can you tell me a little bit, maybe uh, um, Robert, would you tell us a little bit about that calling to Peru? Like why going to a Latin American country and with a different, <laughs> you know, different language, different culture, different everything. I mean, right now you guys are in your summer and we're here almost like getting to our, our winter, even though California is almost like never winter. But I mean, so different. How was your calling into being in Peru? Uh, it started back there when I was, over in Santa Monica, I was in a small church. Well, it's got grew Hope Chapel. We were there in the beginning stages of Hope Chapel when they were going. And there was a little grandma in church. I was just a hippie surfer coming off the beaches, literally. And this little grandma in church kind of adopted us, just loved on us every time we showed up in church, you know, had a little piece of cake. She baked for us or something. And, um, one day she started feeding me some missionary books and stories. And this little grandma, one day, she just said, the hardest thing you could do for God is be a missionary. And I said, well, grandma, just challenge my manhood. I'll do it. 
So I went to the pastor and I said, you know, I think I want to be a missionary. What do I do? And he said, go study. And I said, where? He goes, I don't care. Find a place. <laughs> that was literal. Um, Ralph Moore was the pastor back in those days. And um, recently I asked Ralph, why did you say that to me? He, and he remembered it, you know, wow. 40 some years later he, or 48 years later, he remembered it. He says, you were so pure. I didn't want our denominational seminary to wreck you. Hmm. So I found a Bible school in San Diego that had missions emphasis, moved to San Diego, uh, visited the mission field for the first time in 1978 here in Peru and had such a touch in my heart for this nation that I just got on my knees with my wife and we prayed. We said, God, if you send us back to Peru, we'll give our life to this nation. Wow. And um, we did. We, it took us five years to get here, but we came and never went back. Wow. What were some of those items that, that struck you the most when you got to Peru that you felt like, you know, God's, you know, if you're going to send me, but what were some of those, you know, you're mentioning like just things that struck you? Well, there's one story, and I don't know if I have time to go into the whole story, um, but it's the actual call. Um, I can go into it quickly. We got here in 1978. It was kind of an old school Pentecostal type thing. And the uh, my pastor called to the missionary and said, they think they want to be missionaries, give it to them tough. <laughs> so we landed in Peru, and that the missionary here believed in giving it to us tough. We're on a 26-hour bus ride the next morning to Ecuador and had to preach every night in different villages all the way back mm. to Lima for the next two weeks. Um, and I'm allergic to fish. Peru is a coastal city. I ate fish every day, and I was vomiting blood every night. Um, so I didn't like Peru. I didn't like the mission field. But then we went up into the central mountains, and on the way into a little village called Pampas, It's a village, no lights, no running water. People live the same way they lived for 2,000 years, you know, where they'd wake up, didn't even hardly have money. They bartered their corn for, you know, noodles or whatever they needed at the market, salt or soap. And um, the pastor, when he got there, he, um, he just felt God called him to put a church. They'd never had a church in the city, never, ever pastor's name was Moses. And when he got there, he did what the Apostle Paul did, went to the market on Sunday when everybody came in to, to change things. And, um, you know, he went and started preaching the gospel. Well, the local religious leaders, and they still worship 22 Inca gods, you know, wow. sun, moon, rain, corn, thunder, Um, mm -hmm. they worshiped all these gods, offering animal and even occasional human sacrifices when he was there. So Moses preached the gospel. The local religious leader said, we don't want that. So they ordered the people to stone Moses. They stoned him and left him for dead. Wow. So Moses, somebody picked him up in the market, saw him how he was, threw him in a taxi, sent him back to the big city of Huancayo. And in Huancayo, 30 days later, after he walked out of the hospital, he felt the Holy Spirit said, now go back and plant a church. 
so he did. He went back in there saying, they're going to kill me or I'm going to put a church there. And when I heard this story, I thought, my God, that's like the book of Acts. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's stuff you read about in the book of Acts. All I could think is I want to get a picture of Moses. I just want to take his picture and go back and tell the people in San Diego at my church about Moses. What a man. What a story. So we got in the city. I preached that night in this little village church, 17 little Quechua Indian people being translated from English to Spanish to Quechua. I put all 17 to sleep. I gave my best message and they all were sound asleep. You know, dirt floors, candles on the walls. Well, the next morning we baptized the first believers for him. And he told us the rest of the story. He said, when I got here, somebody gave me a little piece of paper with a name saying, maybe this man could help you. He found the house, knocked on the door. A little Indian man came out and the man said, can I help you? And the pastor Moses said, yeah, this man told me to talk to you. What do you need? He says, I want to preach the gospel here. And the man said they tried to kill the last guy that tried to do it. And Moses said, that was me. Wow. So the man put his head down, went inside the house, came back out, had a little banner across. He was the mayor of the city. Mm. And the mayor went out and ordered the four police in the city to give him protection when he preached. Wow. Not many got saved, but one was the mayor. Mm. And we went to the mayor's house for breakfast little humble, you know, abode that he had. And the mayor began to cry, said, thank you for coming and told me his story. He says, since I've been saved, since I became a Christian, they tried to kill me three times. And I thought, and you're still serving God. This is the book of Acts. Can I get your picture? I got to go tell your story. You know, it's a great mission story, but he was in tears. He said, thank you for coming. And I said, it's an honor to be here. Thank you for having us. And he goes, no, I want to thank you for coming. And I said, no, I want to thank you for having us. And finally, Moses heard us arguing back and forth. Thank you for coming. Thank you for having us. And Moses said, Robert, you don't get it, do you? I I said, get what? He says, whenever people come to Peru, they always go to the big cities. They go to Lima, Cusco, and Arequipa. Nobody ever comes here. Thank you for coming. And that's when I realized it didn't matter how good I preached the night before or if I preached. What mattered is I went. And I got on my face and I said, you know, God, the thing is, that's what missions is. It's going someplace. It's not sending a fax, sending an email or sending an offering. Sometimes the devil works with people saying, you know, if you go to the mission field, they're so poor, you should have just sent your airplane ticket. Well, the Bible doesn't say God so loved the world. He sent an offering or he sent an email. He sent a person. He sent a physical warm body cross culture to love on them. So when we realized that, we just said, you know what? Our presence is all they needed. God, if you send us back to this nation, we'll give our life to this nation. And we will always remember the forgotten pastors. Wow. Which can lead you into the next step of why we do Haciendo Iglesia podcast. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, totally. Wow. What an um, It's just so that amazing. was 78. We've been here, came in 83, never went back and never regret it. 
I don't regret having raised my family in this culture. We have, like you, we have the best of two worlds. Yeah. We understand the American culture and the Spanish culture. And I think it's a beautiful mix. Yeah. And I really believe it's part of what God is doing right now. I don't think it's an accident that you're in Costa Mesa and I'm here. Even though you were born and raised there, your grandparents came there. And it's not a, an accident that you're there. God wants to mix the salad. And I believe the Latin people are key to what God is going to do in the future. Oof, that's good. And uh, we're probably getting to that because I love to talk about the hope for the future and the hope of the church in the future. So I would love for you to talk a little bit more uh, you know, towards the end about how the Latin community or the, the Latin American church is going to be part of that movement of hope mm. of Jesus in the future. Uh, maybe, Taylor, would you tell me a little bit of the challenges that you guys Maybe you have encountered coming back, you know, from the U.S., having this this call, the ministry, and then coming back to Peru. What are some of the challenges that you encountered as you, you know, you try to approach this new, this new calling in your life, but also, you know, coming back to a different culture and different everything? Yeah, honestly, it, it was pretty trippy to me because I grew up here, right, from um, age two, almost three to 15, I left. I would come back every summer, maybe twice a year to visit and, um, and, but just visit. And I ended up coming back at 25. So my, my forming years were really in the U.S. I left Peru as a Peruvian in gringo skin and I had a, a total transformation uh, while I was there and I became more American than Peruvian. So when I came back at 25, Um, several things happened. First off, the funny thing is I realized that I had a 15 year old vocabulary <laughs> <laughs> and, um, and it, it, exactly. it took me a while to, to kind of just readjust into speaking like a 25 year old. <laughs> it in was Spanish, weird. It was funny. In, in Spanish. Yeah. Because yeah. uh, obviously while you've been in forming years, um, you read books in English, literature, and your vocabulary expands. But my vocabulary in Spanish stayed as a 15-year-old vocabulary. So I had a hard time saying some things that I wanted to say. That was the first weird thing. The second is um, it took me longer than I thought it would take me to adjust. In that, um, my, my dad always says, if you want to be a missionary, uh, it'll take you at least one year for you to adapt to the culture probably three years for you to be effective in ministry in that culture. It'll take you a while. So be patient, make the commitment. And uh, for me, I, I thought I would come in as a shoe in um, like lock stock and two smoking barrels. I was in, but it actually took me a whole year, maybe a year and a half to adjust and fit and find my place. And um, when I think, when I look back at that first year, I was kind of just all over the place lost and my parents were very patient and everybody else, but And then all of a sudden it clicked. Um, now, my original call to Peru, um, obviously it's the country, but it has a lot to do with um, God very, being very specific. I'm here to um, help my parents, to push them forward, to um, make, help their voice be heard better, to help their, um, their vision be landed into people's hearts. Um, and so that's been my job description the whole time. 
So when that, I, I remember that after that full year and a half of just not doing, figuring out, uh, graphic design was in my hands. And uh, so that's what I started doing for the church. And um, I blink, did a few, a few spins, and all of a sudden I have a creative team that we've built. And I look back and it's been a whirlwind of God being um, surprising and faithful in every season. And uh, what I'll say, I'll say, I'll say, I'll frame it this way. The reason I'm able to be successful here in, in Lima with Camino de Vida and parents, it has very little to do with me as a amazing person. It has a lot to do with, with my dad and my mom um, creating a space where people like me and other sons and daughters in the faith can flourish. Um, a, a safe place to fail. That's what I call it. Wow. Where uh, we haven't been great, um, but they've been there to pick us up and teach us. Hey, um, you learn, go 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 get it again. Uh, no worries, um, we've all done that. Just continue pushing. You're good. And so me and and so many others have flourished under uh, inside of this culture because there's that um, that kind of um, trust that's been given to us, even though we don't deserve it. Um, so to me, it's, it's an honor and a privilege to be here. Yeah. And you guys have, I've been noticing you guys have, I mean, Haciendo Iglesia podcast, which is phenomenal, but checking out the Camino de Vida website for the church. I mean, you have, you guys have kids podcasts, you have a podcast for Christmas, you have um, a show on the radio, like 6.40 a.m. radio or something like that. Mm -hmm. You have a YouTube channel. So tell me a little bit about how, how do, how are Christians supposed to utilize technology in the 21st century for the mission field or how you guys um, are utilizing it I, th i think i think it's 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 very interesting uh, it, i don't think it even should be a question <laughs> i think it's it's wow. it's a no-brainer um the fact that in in what was it the 70s and 80s the, the boob tube right leave, leave tv it's it's a bad place and leave Hollywood, it's a bad place and, and leave music, right? And, and so today we look at culture and society and uh, honestly, uh, it's, it's, it's a horrible place because we were absent. Um, there's a fascinating book, um, it's written by Bob Briner, it's called Roaring Lambs. And he's a, he's a famous producer, uh, produced Super Bowls, worked for CBS and different other. And he says that for a long time in church, he felt like his, his giftings weren't, um, didn't fit in the church. He was a big producer, but he just went to church. And church was the ones that had the calling were the pastors and maybe the worship pastor and maybe the kids ministry, um, but no one else. But he has a revelation of he is the church out where he is that he that he can be the mission field in the tv industry and it's a call to hey let's be roaring lambs in the middle of and i think um there's a we're called um dramatically called to be in every single platform in every area even though it's hostile even though it's not it's not pleasant we're called to um, be light in the darkness And uh, the darker the place, the the more we should be there, and the the, the brighter we should be, you know. Uh, so, I think social media and, and 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 podcasts and you name it, we need to be there even more so. Mm -hmm. And Robert, how have you encountered 
uh, or how have you, what are the challenges that you have faced with the whole technological thing, you know, and how have you stepped into it? Because I feel like when I see you guys' podcast, it's just so cool that, you know, you have a computer and you're on Zoom and you have like the, you know, the nice microphone and the cameras. And I think for, for a lot of people, maybe that could be even intimidating, right? Like, oh man, like I need to show my face and like all these things. Um, I'm just curious, how has that affected you or how have you stepped into this realm of technology and utilizing it for the kingdom? Um, well, first of all, if you're not listening to the youth today, you're irrelevant. You have to hear, you have to listen and step into their world. Um, and right now their world is a world of digital technology, whether it's video games and they're into it very young or uh, the technology. So it's not easy for my generation because we grew up, you know, and the computers came in later with us. Um, but you have to take the time to learn. And I've had, I mean, we have an incredible team. Taylor talks about how he created a creative team. And that creative team, we just, we started get, giving them more and more space in the church. And it just kept bringing more and more youth in and getting more and more creative team. And so that team is so phenomenal now. They help me, you know, with the, the microphones and the computers. What's interesting is we've been in pretty much seven, close to eight months in strict lockdown. Uh, the last few weeks, a little more open in Peru. But probably seven and a half months strict, strict lockdown, which means we couldn't go out to the streets. So what I had in my house, we couldn't even bring equipment over from the church. We had to use my iPhone, which was an old iPhone 7, I think, which was my camera, a computer. And then they were on the phone saying, okay, do this, do this, do this, do this. Mm -hmm. Connect it up this way. Take this cable. Connect this cable over here. And that's pretty much how we went online. Yeah. Um, we now say this, you know, we, we say Camino de Vida used to be a, a in-person church with an online presence. Somehow, we don't know what it is, but we're looking that way. Somehow the future is we will be an online church with a, a present um, foothold. Wow. That's, that's phenomenal. That's changing the paradigm. And I see that happening in many churches. Like even before I joined this call, I was on a call with uh, like 70 something pastors from the NAB conference, most of them in the United mm -hmm. States and in Canada. And we were talking to this guy named Alan Hirsch, which is one of the know, missional movement Uh, pastors from Australia, and he was sharing a little bit about this idea of learning to play chess without the queen so that you become a really good chess player. Wow. And he's, he's suggesting the idea that sometimes for a lot of churches, the queen has been our Sunday service, right? The thing we do on Sunday, that's, that's the main thing. Mm -hmm. uh, and, and it's kind of like COVID forced the world and specifically like the church to say, okay, what can I do if I can't play with the queen anymore? 
right? And I think that this is this is an area where technology and you know the microphones and the cameras and all this stuff comes in play. And I love that you're saying it's probably a paradigm shift. And maybe that's why maybe God is behind it and he knows where the future is going. He's like, hey, if we don't take the church to the online presence, it doesn't, you know, you can have the building, but you cannot have the influence online, right? Wow. Can you tell me a little bit about Haciendo Iglesia podcast? A little bit about the purpose of, of coming no, together with this, I mean, it's phenomenal. It's in Spanish, but it's so good. I recommend it to mm -hmm. anyone that's listening who is uh, Spanish speaking. Go check it out. Haciendo Iglesia podcast. It's mm -hmm. everywhere on Spotify. We'll have it also on our uh, on our christianpodcast.com. It's going to be part of our directories too. So if people you know go there, they'll find it. But uh, tell me a little bit about this, this idea, how it came about and the purpose of it. Oh, thank you. Uh, thanks for um, recommending it stuff. Uh, I'll, say, I'll say this. Um, it was a natural progression for us. Um, we, we used to do big conferences for pastors, to help pastors. Um, ever, like, and it's what Dad mentioned, the forgotten pastors. So we've always had that, that movement towards helping pastors. So uh, as far as I can remember, my dad was very involved in either bringing 2,000 pastors from the interior of the country to Lima uh, to be ministered by, by the, the best of the best um, worldwide. Um, we used to do a, uh, then a big conference and a huge expense. We got, called it um, Corazon Heart Conference, and that was amazing. We did it for several years, but then uh, it, was, it was such a so, so weighty as in, in the costs and the budget. And honestly, when you have a big, a big event, you're inspiring people, but you're not connecting with people. And that was frustrating to us. And so we, we kind of quit that. And, and my dad's like, I don't know what's next. And it's interesting because I, in that lapse of that time, I was, I was invited to, to go and be a part of a round table with Brian Houston um, and a bunch of um, amazing young preachers. Uh, we, we know them all today. And I was like, I'm a fish out of water right here. What am I doing? But it was such an impactful moment in my life. Uh, I remember calling my dad and saying, hey, dad, this is incredible. I, th I think there's something here. And so um, he called it, um, Brian Houston called it, Let's Talk Church. And I couldn't translate that to Spanish. Hablemos de Iglesia. It didn't sound good. And um, I didn't want to copy. So we ended up coming up with the name Haciendo Iglesia, no? uh, doing church, um, building church. And... We just tried it. We, we just started doing round tables in, in different parts of, the, of Latin America, and it shocked us, the response, to the point where um, I don't know how many years that I've been doing it for seven years, maybe those round tables, maybe more. Yeah, more. Yeah, and uh, it's, it's actually, it's gotten out of hand. It's, there's so much response, and we're, we're in, like, I think, 50 different cities at this, and simultaneously, and obviously COVID, kind of halted it. Well, simultaneous to um, doing these round tables with pastors with an actual curriculum that we've um, kind of created and stuff. One day, <laughs> um, I went on and, and saw online that there's a there's a devotional from Brian Houston. This is actually a funny story. And I go, oh, okay, I'll check it out. And I went on, it was on version, and I, and I saw there's an icon for an audio icon. 
I was like, oh, that's interesting. So I clicked it and it was Brian Houston's voice reading me the devotional. And I'm like, what? <laughs> I got, I got, I was amazed and I was upset. <laughs> and I was upset because it just hit me. It's like Brian Houston didn't come up with that idea. He didn't say I wanted my voice in the devotional. He probably what happened was a team said, Hey, pastor, we got this idea. Here's, here's the script. You want to come, come in today and read maybe 10 or 15 of these? He goes, yes, I'll do it. And so just, I got a deep conviction in my heart that I have to position my, my parents for the next however many years as content creating years where we must create content. Um, I think the next, the next 20 years are my parents' best years. So we need to take all their heart and, and put it on paper. My dad's mentor said, if it's not written, it doesn't exist. Wow. And uh, so we, we, so we became aggressive at it. And in that, um, obviously devotionals and different things. And one was like, how can I position my dad to do a podcast? Mm -hmm. And so I was like, you know what? I'm not going to, I don't want to load him up with work. I want to, I want to offload work. And so listening to um, Andy Stanley's podcast one, one day, um, it's a brilliant podcast, one, probably one of the best and one of the pioneers in the Christian world of podcasts, obviously. I don't think anybody's been doing it as long as he has. His format is very interesting. He, he doesn't go on and just talk. He has one of his close friends interview him mm. and prod him and ask him questions. And out of that prodding comes a well of knowledge and information and wisdom. And like, you know what, I can, I can do that. I have a, the relationship with my dad and I can prod my dad and have him just out of that abundance. So we started doing that. We started getting together and he goes, um, what do you want to talk about though? <laughs> and I was like, well, you have a bunch of these filters that are great. And he goes, oh, filters, people want to, okay. And so we'd get together literally in the studio and you go, uh, which filter do you want to talk about? And I would go, uh, how about this one? He goes, ah, oh, I love that one. All right, let's go. And we just sit down and for 15 minutes, we'll just talk about a filter. I would ask him questions and, and that's how the Haciendo Iglesia podcast was, was born. Um, it was a, a seasonal podcast uh, every two weeks and then we shifted it um, into being a weekly podcast. And then COVID hit. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and we couldn't go to the studio anymore. And so um, we scrambled to, um, to, to do a Zoom call and we record with two different cell phones, two different angles, and try to try to try to produce it. And I got to say, um, I'm I'm I am in awe of my dad and my mom as as the technician and setting up and recording. And you don't even know the patience, but it's a testimony of um, hey, this is worth it um, to to be able to help people. Mm, props to you, uh, Mr. Robert, for for being technologically savvy enough to, or even just the desire to say, you know, I want to bless the church. So I'm going to step into it. And I think you've mm -hmm. done it well. What's been your experience from your vantage point doing Haciendo Iglesia podcast with your son? Uh, yeah, it's let me back up just a little bit because the amazing thing is the journey that Taylor and I have been on. You know, obviously he's my son. So I've been his dad his whole life. And we had a great father-son-dad relationship. Um, then I'm also his pastor. Um, and it's a humbling thing to me when somebody trusts you enough to put their life in your hands to guide them spiritually towards eternity. But it's, 
more interesting when it's your son. Um, and then today he's gone from being my son, time is pastor, to he's my best friend. Wow. You know, we've just developed a relationship that is, we just love to hang together and drink coffee together and talk football or church, whatever it is. <laughs> so um, I guess uh, when he started coming to me saying, we want to get content, it was like, you know, first of all, explain to me, what do you mean by content? You know, what does that mean? And when he started explaining it, just content, you got to get content out there. People are looking for content. I understood it. And he made it easy. Mm-hmm. You know, the, the technological side is just kind of intriguing because, you know, the first few days, like I said, we had to go online church one Sunday to the next without being prepared and without getting an equipment from our church over to us. You know, we were stuck with what we had in the house. Well, <laughs> over the next month, I'd say about two or three months in, <coughs> um, they were, there was a few people that got special permits that we got over to the church and they actually snuck me over a microphone and brought a couple of things over. And then they were all sitting, okay, now put this cable here, put this cable here, do this, do that. And now I feel like an old pro. You know, <laughs> Taylor and I actually tape on Wednesdays for the Hacienda Iglesia podcast. And where it used to take me maybe two hours to set up, you know, with the Zoom and a couple of my technician guys, okay, pastor, get your cameras here, the lighting better this way. Now, gosh, 15 minutes, I am set, ready to go. Mm-hmm. And so now we're actually doing, you know, instead of just one podcast a week, we're actually doing them two and two, mm-hmm. but, you know, still a little bit easier, but just to say, I thank God for, you know, the gift that my kids are, my son, my daughter, you talked about your kids. We love the journey of our grandkids. Taylor's got four beautiful daughters that wow. just fill our hearts with joy. So that's, yeah, I, 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 I kind of joke around. Um, Cause part of, um, my, my mission, obviously, if I'm going to serve my parents and, and, and land their hearts into people's hearts, I got to know their heart. And so I, I was already kind of, I'm, I'm, I'm a lot like my mom in many ways. I have a lot of that. And um, people would say, wow, you and your mom are the same person. And they, they would never say that about me and my dad and the way, when I was growing up. So I made it my mission to um, study my dad, to learn my dad, to predict my dad. I would try to um, um, just foresee what, how is he going to decide on this situation? And, and, uh, and, and I would ask a lot of questions. And, and so what happened is, I actually joke around now, I, actually, I think I know my dad better than my mom knows my dad. <laughs> <laughs> and it's probably good. true in the sense that, um, especially on the working side of things, uh, obviously, this is a whole deeper relationship between my parents that I'll never have, but uh, I, I actually understand the way my dad thinks, the way he works. He's a, he's a, a very silent leader, a very open-handed leader. And so I had to, I, I had to kind of just um, reverse engineer a lot of the way we do things in church, um, just observing his actions, not so much his words. And um, and so even my mom, like t- like today now nowadays, she'll go, "Hey, can you ask your dad this?" <laughs> and uh, so so we just joke around about that. But I think the lesson there is, if I if anybody is serving their pastor, 
their main job um, objective is to understand the pastor's heart, to study them, to really just get a PhD, get a PhD in knowing your pastor. Because if you do that, that'll make you a better, a better um, leader. Um, you, you'll serve them better, and, and it actually it'll, it'll lift you up. So there's been a, I think, a transfusion that's happened toward today. I am very much like my dad. Um, so much so it's kind of freaky. <laughs> um, and uh, it, I think that, to me, it's a joy, um, a joy to be able to um, to do it this way. You know, it's fun. Awesome. Love it. I would. It's just incredible story. I love everything you guys have said. And as we wrap it up, I want to come back to that question of where is the church going to be in 10, 20 years? And what are maybe some of the tools or maybe some of the advice that you would tell people now that in 10 years, no, they're going to be practicing. Uh, what would be some of your, uh, yeah, tools, advice, uh, words of encouragement for the church of the future? Wow. I'll, I'll step in real quick and then let my dad take it. Um, I remember maybe a month into COVID, strict lockdowns. Uh, my daughters um, at that time, um, 10 and 8, the older ones, were playing on their, on their iPads. And uh, I'd hear them giggling. They're playing Roblox. I don't know if you guys know what that is. You probably do. Um, but uh, they're playing Roblox. And I heard a, a voice of a third girl in my house. I'm like, who's here? <laughs> and so I, I walked over to them, actually right there behind me in my living room. And what they had done is they, were, uh, they had a, a voice or a video call a FaceTime call happening as they were playing in the same virtual world with their friend. And it was the most weird thing because I'm like, wow, how do they even figure that out? No, one, I didn't teach them. They just knew how to do it. And I called my wife over and we talked about it and it just hit me like a ton of bricks. Wow, my daughters, they're native, virtual natives. Mm. And I am not. And that kind of a, a, a way of doing things is so foreign to me. And I just saw the speed of the way things were progressing in us and us and we're doing virtual virtual church and trying to get it and is it gonna work or not? And then it, I felt like one of those like moments where it's the Holy Spirit whispering inside of you. And the question was, what if part of the reason COVID was allowed, right? God allowed it, he didn't send it, he allowed it, is to help us understand that if we don't understand virtual church as essential, because we always we always thought of virtual church as, ah, oh, oh, that's okay. I remember even saying when Judah Smith and Church Home, when they launched their virtual church in early, uh, or way early on, I, I thought of it as, oh man, they're copping out. It's a cop out. <laughs> they're not building church, they're just doing virtual church. Ooh, whatever. And, and uh, the word in Spanish is menospreciar. I just mm. thought of it as something less, a secondary church. But the Holy Spirit said, what if um, COVID is helping us accelerate to the speed of that generation so that when that generation is 18, 10 years from now wow. and, and 20, that their generation doesn't pass us up on the Autobahn going 300 miles an hour while we're just going 20 <laughs> as a church? What if... This is allowed now so that we don't lose a whole generation 10 years from now. Mm. And I believe that with my whole heart. 
Um, I really, truly believe that we uh, were, and I, I, I repent, uh, Judah, and they heard God before most of the world heard God in doing virtual church in such an amazing way. And I'm like, oh, wow. So then my dad says, we have, we've went from a, a church, uh, a, pres uh, a presence or a physical church with a virtual foot, or the foot in the virtual, to a virtual church with the foot in the, in, in the physical. And um, I'm, I'm expecting to see what the next 10 years is going to happen. Um, I think now we're, we're, we're becoming equipped to reach a generation which in 2019 we weren't equipped to reach. Mm -hmm. So good. Yeah. Let me throw a couple of things in there. Um, wrote a book a little while back in Spanish only. It's called La Iglesia Relevante, The Relevant Church. Mm -hmm. And the basic thing is, is, you know, relevance isn't being cool. It's not being padre. It's not trying lights and, you know, skinny jeans. Relevance just means scratching the itch, you know, finding the itch and scratching it. The thing is, is we have way too important of a message to be irrelevant. We cannot have an irrelevant message. This message is exactly what the world needs today. Um, so, but the problem was, and especially in Latin America, like we talk about the roundtables we do, we did a goal and the goal is we want to help a thousand churches in South America break a thousand members. We want to help churches get unstuck because so many churches are stuck and they're especially stuck in a time warp mm -hmm. of yesterday, yesterday's success, yesterday's revival. You go to Argentina, you know, the great revival of the 80s and the 90s. Well, sometimes the biggest uh, block from success tomorrow is success yesterday. Because people try to go back to the way it was instead of the best is yet to come. Mm. Well, where the relevant church, if you're doing church today, like 10 years ago, you're irrelevant. That's what I used to say. And then COVID hit. So now if you're doing church today, like February, you're irrelevant. <laughs> wow. Okay. Um, and I hate to tell guys this, but God is not obligated to keep your church open. Oof. If you look at Europe today, places where Wesley preached, where Calvin preached, where Spurgeon preached, Martin Luther all the great revivals of Europe, you know, Germany, England, Switzerland. Today, those churches, I mean, they had nights of glory, glorious moves of God, um, people getting saved and revival. Mm -hmm. Today, they're museums or restaurants. So the possibility of the church we're building today becoming a restaurant tomorrow, all those little grandmas giving their tithes and their offering to buy bricks to build a church that tomorrow might become, you know, just a bookstore. Um, it's that hurts. So we have got to change and the change of the future. I feel God has taken us by our hand and walking us into a new way. The methods always change. The message stays the same. But the, the idea, and Taylor says this better than anybody, 
that we're not trying to reproduce online what we had going Sunday. We were really good at Sunday. It's like you said, the queen. We were really good at, with the queen on the board. Take the queen away. Okay, we can't do it that way anymore. So we were really good at Sunday, but online can't be like Sunday. Online today is, you know, you, you adjust, you tweak it. The main goal of us is to keep people connected, keep people engaged, keep the gospel message out there, um, and grow the church. So I don't know, Taylor, if you want to mention in closing your, your deal about the difference of in-person and online church. Yeah, no, I think um, if, if, if online is virtual is real to a whole different generation to our kids, right? It's not, it's not, it's not a subpar world. It's actually a real world. It's a real place. There's a phenomenon that's happened where we actually, we've been doing this for over half a year. We have Christians, new, new believers that only know, only know our church in a virtual format, and we, we actually call them virtual natives now. Um, we had physical natives, but now we have virtual natives. In the past, we might have said those are inferior believers, inferior members of our church. Now they're not. They're, they've never stepped foot in our physical church, but they are, they are a very much a part of our virtual church. So there's no difference, distinction now. So how are we going to take push this forward? We've got to rethink the way we do virtual virtual is on a screen we don't have control of the environments um we're being projected into people's homes or workplaces or cars or transport we don't have control so so maybe what we say is offensive to the dad in the house um maybe what we say um is is just stupid to the kids so we have to we have to regulate how we say things we have to change what we say and also be sensitive of people in difficult situations. So our services can't be an hour and a half. Uh, our services now are 30, 30 to 35 minutes. Literally, we've cut out, we, we've even cut out offering from our service. What we do is we do a lobby time before and after, um, before the service and after the service. And there we give some announcements. It, we give maybe, hey, if you wanna support the church, you can do it here. But during the physical, actual service, we don't say, uh, and, and that's because we want to invite people. <laughs> if, if, if you invite a friend to church and the first thing they see is offering, they go, oh, man, really? <laughs> that's what it's about. <laughs> it's, it's a gimmick. Is this a pyramid, pyramid scheme or something? What, do you, what, what have I clicked into? Mm-hmm. But because um, it's different in, when you're in the environment, it's different than when you're online. So we have to rethink. And I love this point. I'll finish with this. Um, we used to be really good at, at our liturgy, our queen. Um, but we've all, we, maybe we've for, forsaken the connection. And we're, we're not a church if we're not connected. Uh, if we're, and I think what we're learning is we've got to connect better with people. And maybe, maybe Sundays, maybe liturgy is one leg and the other leg is connection. And maybe if we have two legs going, we'll go good. Maybe as a church, we're just hopping on one leg for a long time. And that's why we never got the traction we needed. But now that we have the the strong liturgy when we come back and also good connection, maybe we can just, instead of just hopping, we can run. 
we can take places and really um, be the be the head, not the tail. Be the church that God wants us to be. Be the church in Isaiah two two. You know, the mountain of the Lord raising rising above all the other mountains, being the most attractive thing on earth, uh, being the biggest attraction on earth. And so I'm I'm very hopeful for what's what's in store. But we do have to understand that um, we got to connect any by any means possible. Wow. Amazing. Thank you, Taylor. Thank you, Robert. This is a phenomenal conversation. I think it moves the church mm. into the future. Uh, it's, it gives people tools. It gives opens people's minds to the future, to the possibilities. And even some, as I'm thinking, one of my early podcasts with um, uh, Brian Sanders, he's got a book named The Underground Church. Mm. And he started a church in Tampa called the Underground Network. And I was talking to him and he was mentioning a little bit about how the church in Latin America, it's almost like ahead of, of what the Western church is doing as, as we think you know, of the church, maybe in, in the United States and England. Mm. Uh, he's like, we, we really got to look at you know, our friends in the South and the church in the South in Latin America and you know, the global church. In, in Africa and what they are doing and I feel like you guys are are at the forefront of what God is doing through his church and with his church and specifically you know coming out of Peru out of Latin America I just want to commend you guys for the work that you guys are doing it's unbelievable it's amazing it's beautiful to see it Uh, thank you so much, guys, for being on the show. It's been phenomenal. I hope one day, maybe, you know, as uh, you know, opportunities arise and this whole COVID is over and it's behind, maybe one day, you know, I would love to even like come to Peru, get to know you guys, bring my family. You guys seem like a, a beautiful family. So uh, thank you guys for being here. You're welcome. Whenever you can make it, we'll make it happen. Yeah, we got some good food here. Um, <laughs> I'm just saying. I'm just saying. <laughs> Good coffee, too. Yes. All Thanks, right. man, for this opportunity. It's been a blast. It's been really, really good. Appreciate it. Thank you. Thanks for listening to this episode of Christian Podcast. If you liked this episode, share it with friends and family. Make sure you subscribe and leave a positive review whatever you can. You can also visit christianpodcast.com to learn more about our show. Hasta la vista.